Hey you, it's episode 95 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Can you believe it? Because I can't. Today we're chatting about flipping the keto food pyramid, the gluconeogenesis boogeyman, and your ketones. Blood work reference ranges, are they a waste of time? And so much more. So I have been just so interested in the carnivore diet, people that have done the carnivore diet. I don't know if I'm ready to give it a whirl and see what happens. I definitely am very interested in this. You know, it's very similar to the way I felt about keto. It's like, really? Can that actually work? I don't know. That seems crazy. And I think we've all been there with the ketogenic diet. And this conversation is so great. Dr. Anthony Gustin is such a great teacher, a great communicator, and you can just tell that he's high on ketones when he talks. It is so great. I always love having him on the show. He's been on the show multiple times. I think this is a third time. And after I chatted with Kelly Hogan about the carnivore diet in episode 81, I really wanted to have Anthony on to chat about his experience of carnivore from a different perspective. So I'm very excited about this because I'm very curious about this. And if you've tried to do carnivore, even for a couple of days, I would love to know what you thought of it. Head on over to Instagram. My handle is healthfulpursuit and send me a video or tag me in a post next time you chat about it. I'd love to just know more about this and who's doing it, what they're experiencing. I could see this being helpful for a couple of different sorts of people. And in today's episode, we chat all about that and how to kind of incorporate it into your ketogenic diet. So it's not an all or nothing thing. And as you know, I'm a girl that likes to slide around in the gray area and never really fully commit to anything because we know that our bodies are so intuitive. And we chat so much about that in today's episode. I created a podcast extra for today's episode, specifically for all the things we chat about. You can get it at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E95. I got one cool thing for you, and that is that I am guessing if you are listening to today's episode and you're like, carnivore, what's that? I want to lose weight. I wonder if this will help. That perhaps you're here because you want to lose weight. And if you are, I understand that when you're on keto or really any diet, it can be a struggle to lose weight. So I've come up with eight steps to end weight loss struggles. It's a little free download. You can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash weight to download it. And it'll outline how to know if you are eating enough versus eating too much in order to spark weight loss, the role stress has on your ability to become properly fat adapted, how hormones play a role in your weight, and so much more. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women, so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body, quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel. Our guest today is Dr. Anthony Gustin, who's a board-certified sports physician, a functional medicine practitioner, and overall food and fitness skeptic, and his focus recently has shifted from private practice to creating products that improve the accessibility to whole food nutrition and ketosis with his company's Perfect Keto and Equip. In addition to publishing his health reports on his website, DrAnthonyGustin.com, Dr. Gustin recently launched his own podcast, The Keto Answers Podcast, and I will was his first guest ever. It was so cool. We chatted about all the things. Like I said, I've interviewed Dr. Gustin a couple of times before on the podcast. And if you like this episode, you might like our other conversations. They're episode 41 and 59. So if you're listening to this on a podcast player, you can just go back in time to those episodes, or I'll also link to them in the show notes. Okay, let's get to this interview. Hey, Anthony, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Third time. Appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Third time's a charm. It's just so great to chat with you. I never want it to end. Yeah, no, we always have fun. <laughs> okay, so for people that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you? Yes, I am trained as a chiropractor. I did a lot of sports med for a while out of school about five and a half years ago. I switched to functional medicine a couple of years into practice. Um, I was using a lot of 
ketogenic diet and diet and nutrition specifically to help patients overcome things like gut problems, diabetes, weight loss, things like that. Um, I did a math problem and realized I was only going to affect like 12,000 people in my entire career if I was going on that rate. And so I have since then um, switched to more of an entrepreneurial route where we're trying to, with companies like Perfect Keto and Equip Foods, create scalable solutions to help people with um, nutrition problems and to get the best information so that anybody can have a super easy path to, you know, whether it's losing weight or treating a, a chronic illness or just feeling the best they can using these, these, um, these ways of eating and improving their nutrition is a way to improve their life. Mm, I love it. And I love to ask every guest that comes on the show, what does keto mean to you? Keto means to me, um, to me, I just associate with feeling amazing. So just running on a, on a better version of my own metabolism, uh, I know it's not perfect for everybody, but it's just something for me that, that it means feeling awesome, feeling amazing and feeling better than I would otherwise. Amazing. And so we had a guest on the show a couple of episodes ago talking about carnivore. And there were so many questions and I had questions too, that we wanted to have you on the show because you recently did a little carnivore experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. So it was one of these things where I am a skeptic about all things nutrition, and but I'm also extremely open to new things. And this is something that if I heard about this six months ago, even four months ago, and I first started hearing about it, I was like, there's no way that this is what can be healthy. Like, yes, meat is good. And I don't think animal products are bad, but I don't think eating exclusively animal products can be healthy for you until I started looking into it more. And when people start having anecdotes where they're eating uh, animal products only for years and years and years and feeling incredible and fixing chronic illness, there has to be something there. And so more I dug into it, the more I was open to trying it myself. This, I'm, I'm a very big believer of I shouldn't recommend things to people if I don't go through it myself and kind of use myself as a guinea pig. So I said, screw it. Let's do it for a minimum a month. And I think I ended up doing it for about five and a half weeks total. And I felt incredible, actually. So I, f I felt like there was a kind of a stepwise function going from eating like quote unquote healthy to paleo was one for me. And then paleo to keto was um, another kind of step up into feeling even better. And going from keto to carnivore for me was another game changer with the way I felt. And we can dig into it later about how the changes that I went through. And I don't think that eating only meat is the answer for the majority of people. And I think that though I've learned some things going through this experiment that I'm going to be carrying with me and implementing and maybe recommending to other people, depending on what their goals are and how they want to feel. So yeah, it's been, it's been a, a, a crazy flip where I thought that I, I would be eating, you know, primarily plants in a little bit of animal product of really high quality sources across the board until I tried this. And now that paradigm has shifted and almost flipped entirely where I'm eating majority animal products in kind of a, hand, a couple of handfuls of plant stuff a day. And I'm feeling incredible kind of doing this modified carnivore approach now. Mm, that's so cool that you mentioned that because I noticed probably about a year ago um, when I really started just not not um, having such strict rules around keto and whole foods keto that I just gravitated more toward like not loving vegetables. And that was really interesting to me because I used to be vegan and I'll be the first one to say like, don't count your kale, just eat as much as you want. But just naturally, I started going toward more meat. But then there was this voice in the back of my head saying like, you got to have your vegetables, you got to have your vegetables. And that story that plays out. So I'd love to know from you before we get into the things that you learned, what was the thing that you loved most about this five week carnivore experience like the thing you loved well it was just i ate way less and thought about food way less and it wasn't clear to me until after a few weeks of doing this but i mean i am i don't let food control my life and i have you know quote unquote good relationship with food but it's still something that i would always be thinking about as far as you know what i'm going to eat or how i'm going to prepare or this or that throughout the day and there's a huge shift kind of like i said two weeks through where I realized that I was thinking about food way too much. I mean, I'm an extremely busy person right now with, with all the stuff that I have going on. So being able to free up probably hours of my day and just simplify things from, from the ground up and say, okay, here's simple rules. Like I can eat this thing and I just eat until I'm full and then basically eat one, maybe two times a day. It's, it simplified things to an incredible level. Um, so that was great. I'd say it's kind of split between that and just the feeling of maximum energy throughout the day like the times where like i would 
really boost up my ketone levels and be in a deep state of ketosis and feeling incredible is how now I feel pretty much the entire day, which is something that I have not experienced before. And so it's like I have these crazy uh, amounts of focus on a, on a really deep state of ketosis. And I, now I get that the entire day, which is for me invaluable. Wow. Okay. And like, just to preface guys, like you were keto before you did this. And you're saying that from keto to the carnivore experience that you thought about food even less. Correct. Okay. This is blowing my mind. Okay. What was the thing that you didn't like about it? Because I know come like the fourth week, I think I saw a post of like, I'm really missing just like a little bit of vegetable or something, or you had chimichurri. There was something where you were like, I just miss green stuff. Yeah. So I think one of the things is that I just moved recently to Austin, Texas and eating like eating meat when it gets to be like 90 degrees and humid for all of your meals is, is really, really intense. So like summertime, especially now that we're moving closer into summer, it is just like, I just want something cool and like a crisp, crunchy vegetable that tastes like fresh. And so not having that in it, I would say would be the the worst part. I didn't really get sick of the food quality at all. Like I just, I just enjoy eating meat and I think it's tasty and I think I cook it well. So like I never got really sick of it, but it was like eating the same, like kind of like feeling heavy, not like feeling like, like fresh is probably the worst mm. part. And, and mm. I would say like traveling and eating out is near to impossible, um, which I'm sure we can dig into later, but it's doable, but it's, it makes it so much more challenging. Yeah. Okay, cool. And the lessons you mentioned, uh, you know, you learned some things about your body and things that you'll be adjusting and perhaps recommending to clients. Can we get into that of like the top things that you were like, whoa, that's interesting. For what I would be recommending to people? Exactly. When it comes to carnivore or eating more meat. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why I think it is helpful for people. Um, I think that primarily you're getting way more nutrients than you would otherwise. And so if you put food on a spectrum from top to bottom, you're going to have things like organ meats from from fully pastured animals and wild animals at the very top of this um, food pyramid, I would say, food spectrum and um, from micronutrient density. Then next below that, you have meat sources like lean tissue meat, collagen, stuff like this, and like other parts of the animal. Then far below that, you have herbs and spices and, and things of that nature. And then below that, you have vegetables, below that, fruits, nuts, etc. And then way below that, grains. And so I think that generally, if you only eat at the top of that pyramid or totem pole, you're just going to get way more nutrients than you would be otherwise. So I think a lot of people probably have some nutrient deficiencies that they're showing up uh, by by eating this, this way, which I think is super beneficial. Um, I also think that when I was working with people, my practice and people had gut problems, Nine times out of 10, they would have too much gut bacteria or an imbalance in gut bacteria to which they need less fiber. And so everyone makes a huge deal about fiber. And then like, this is the, the, this is the biggest travesty of me doing carnivore is that I was going to die without fiber. And I actually think that a lot of people would do very, very well removing fiber entirely from their diet for a good period of time to help rebalance and treat probably some pre-existing gut issues. More often than not, I would say people have some underlying gut problem, especially if you've gone through any bout of like food poisoning or antibiotics or any type of digestive stuff. If you have like most skin problems come from gut issues, for example, I think that actually removing fiber entirely from your diet and things like I mean, avocados, they're, they're great and they're very keto, but they have a lot of fiber and a lot of um, fermentable fiber that gut bacteria can feast on. And so when you remove that food, you start getting a, a much better rebalancing of gut bacteria. And I think that this is one of the biggest reasons why people are feeling a lot better on a carnivore diet is just removing and having it be zero carb, zero fiber. And so I think this is a very big point um, that helps people a lot. As I started incorporating food back in, I noticed that the more fibrous the foods I incorporated back in, and we can get to why for me personally, this was the case, I felt worse and worse and lower energy. So now my approach is a lot of animal products and we can get into which ones I choose and why. Um, and then if I do do vegetables, I do a lot of um, non-fibrous or non-FODMAP um, which is just a fermentable form of fiber for my vegetable sources. And doing it that way, I feel pretty incredible. Mm. And so you mentioned ketone testing a little while ago when you were doing this experiment. And I know, and I've been shouting from the rooftops for years on this, the whole gluconeogenesis 
piece. And I think you pro- proved that it's not such a big concern when it comes to ketones. Can you can we elaborate on that of like where you saw your ketones go and how it wasn't really affected negatively by the protein intake? Yeah, they were surprise, surprise, no different than when I eat 20 to 30 grams or 40 grams or 50 grams of protein. If I eat, if I gorge myself on fat and have as much ketones as possible, um, I'm always on a little bit of, of a lower end here. So like 0.8 to 1.0 is pretty normal for me. But I tested this and at no point did that change. I upped my protein significantly. I didn't really force myself to get a specific macro- macronutrient every day. I ate until I was full and that looked like usually like two ribeyes a day, roughly, or I would say like eight eight like hamburger patty type of um, size. And that's essentially what I ate. Um, and it was in one meal as well. And I would test afterwards and my glucose would be stable. And my ketone levels would be between maybe 0.7 and 0.9. And so for me, it didn't change. Amazing. Yeah, I've never been able to have protein change anything for me. And, and, if, and if it was the boogeyman that everybody says it is, for ketosis, which is such a ridiculous thing that has been just spread with misinformation forever, is that I would not be in a state of ketosis if that was the case. Like I was eating probably 150, 160 grams of protein a day, easy. And so if that were the case, like I would be turning that into glucose and my blood sugar would be raising. I would be, you know, reducing my level of ketones and especially over the course of five weeks. Uh, so this is something that I just I don't buy into a lot of the claim that you need to reduce protein significantly on a ketogenic diet. I think people are doing that to an extreme where if, for instance, you're treating epilepsy or cancer or things like this, yes, it makes sense totally to do a classical ketogenic diet where you're getting 85 to 90% of your calories from fat only and trying to drive that ketone level as high as you possibly can. It makes a lot of sense. But I don't think that the majority of people doing ketosis, for for example, weight loss or to feel good or, or for any other reason, that they need to limit the protein so aggressively that they start losing lean, lean muscle mass and getting fatigued and, and not losing weight. I, th- I think a lot of times people, when they don't lose weight on keto, ketogenic diet, it's because they're, they're eating way too much fat and they're not eating enough protein. And so I think, uh, I think Rob Wolf recently gave the recommendation, like set protein first and then like at a reasonable amount and then go to setting carbs low and then everything else goes to fat. Whereas people go fat first and then limiting everything else secondarily. And I think for most people now that, that that we're getting so much conflicting information, like that's probably the best place to start. And I know that it's probably overwhelming for people who have heard 3000 different things. And like, I, I think we're all frustrated people who are in the space as well, that it's, it's never like a cookie cutter thing. So I can't just be like, Oh, well, Every single person should have 0.8 grams per lean lean uh, body mass kilogram for protein, and they need everyone needs 34 grams of carbohydrates. Like it's so individual. We're like we can start with loose guidelines, but ultimately at the end of the day, keeping protein relatively uh, not high, not excessive, but the more you eat is not going to kill you, and it's not going to take you out of ketosis. Yeah, I think the moderate in moderate protein for keto has been taken way out of context. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I had a conversation with a woman that said like a keto calculator told her to only eat 40, uh, was it, it was 35 grams of protein per day. I'm like, what? I, I mean, fair, no, I just don't think for, for what needs to happen in your body. I think that's too low for most people, but you're right. It's such an individual thing. And something you mentioned that was interesting is it sounds like your ketones remained the same, but you actually way earlier, you said you felt better. Your, your brain was a lot more lit up. So even though your ketones were remaining quite similar to when you're on the ketogenic diet without carnivore, your brain felt more lit up. Is that Yeah. I think that this goes to show as well that there's way more to health and how you feel than your ketone levels. And I think that people like to get sucked into the fact that the higher ketone level that they have, the better health that they should feel. And then it's not really that simple. There's a lot more that goes into health than just how many ketones are floating around in your bloodstream. Yes, completely. Okay, so you ate some pretty amazing things. I was watching all of the meats that you were eating and it all looked great. 
But you mentioned also food quality, like meat quality before. Um, when I was chatting with our previous uh, carnivore guest, um, she was saying like she actually prefers the taste of grain fed meat and that's what she goes toward. I'd love to get your feel on the quality of the meat, if that was important to you and why. That's interesting. I never heard anybody say that. I think that if people if people say that, I think that they just ha- don't have the right grass fed meat. Um, so for instance, the stuff I get in Austin at this uh, ranch called Bar 3 Ranch, they do grass fed for up to two years in a cow and they actually get to a full weight whereas a lot of grass-fed farms butcher at like a year or so and because they're trying to turn over their production of meat much quicker and so if you have grass-fed meat that isn't good it's just probably of not good quality so that's just a side note of course i think quality is an imperative and i think that so this is i think we get into a tricky situation because obviously i recommend getting as high of nutrition as possible and that goes from like a, a wild or fully pastured animal and i just i don't support ethically the grain fed commercially raised animals in that type of environment i just think it's pretty atrocious and i i don't support that so i think that supporting grass fed just for that reason is worth it alone but to be fair i think that if people were even eating grain fed meats the majority of their nutrition, they're going to get more micronutrients and more building blocks for their cells than they would if they were eating like a standard ketogenic diet where the animal product is as of a low low um, consumption rate. And so I think that eating exclusively animal products in grain fed is not ideal or the best, but I think it is probably more micronutrient dense than not eating it. Does this make sense? Really? Yeah, it makes sense. I'm surprised. Yeah. Okay. Which is like, I cool. However, like I, I think that there's a lot of things that people are doing where they're not like, is getting that much micronutrients offsetting? Like, are we blowing out of the water like the inflammatory food or like the inflammatory fats in grain fed meats? I'm not sure. And like, uh, does the the heightened level of micronutrients in, because like you're still getting micronutrients, a lot of them in, in proper building blocks versus say people eating a ketogenic diet with, you know, polyunsaturated oils or this really weird like franken cheeses that everybody likes to to craft singles and stuff like that like of course i don't recommend any of this stuff but i mean i don't think we have the answers completely clear yet as if you know obviously grass-fed pastured uh, wild is the best for sure but what does that look like for people let's say they have a gut problem and fiber lights them up they don't know it they reduce that completely and start to normalize that with grain fed beef. Like, are they still like, are they getting a net positive effect? Um, I would have to say that some people probably, is it, you know, is, is a small amount of grass fed meat plus the rest of vegetables better than grain fed meat in very few vegetables? I don't think we have the, the exact answer on that yet. Um, but I think for some people, it, it would actually be advantageous. For some people, it probably wouldn't be. This is just something where I think it's a very individual approach as well. But if, if there's a pre-existing gut condition, I think that a person is much better off taking the fiber out completely. And I understand like some, like if you have the choice between grass-fed and grain-fed and you choose grain-fed, I just think that that's silly. But if you're a person who like you're strapped for cash and like it, it really does make a financial difference, especially when you're eating that much animal product, I think that it could make sense for some people to do that. And just getting as, as best as they can, but healing gut gut health and getting a higher dose of nutrients could make some sense. So I'm not like completely for or against any certain thing. I think there that there's a time and place for for a lot of things. I think that can be very individual. But I think that of course, if you can choose better nutrient quality, then then do that. Um, and that's kind of where I've always stood. But like it's it's sometimes for people is an economical concern. Whereas I think that if they were to have grain fed and, and limit some of these things, that they could have probably some some major health benefits if they had any pre-existing gut health issues. And and you mentioned before um, removing fiber for a while. So I guess what I'm hearing for you from you rather is if you have gut issues, removing plants for a period of time and then perhaps like what you're saying now, how you're approaching keto, it's keto, it's more carnivore, but it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Right. Is that right? And so for example, you like so things that you can throw into a pot and then cook down, like you can throw a giant bag of arugula or spinach or whatever into a pot and steam it and it would like it would go down to nothing essentially, right? We all know how, how aggravating that can be. But like plants like that, sprouts, um, avocados, things that are high in fat and low in fiber. Um, avocados are like my my fiber treats right now, but um, things like that. I think it's kind of how I'm approaching it, and I still feel great. I think there's a lot more. So 
another basic thing that I don't think a lot of people understand about nutrition is that there's a difference between what you get from plants and what you get from animal products. So and I don't think I've heard anybody talk about this in the carnivore space yet. So be happy to hear people's feedback. But when you eat animal products, you get full amounts of, of nutrients that are absorbed by the body that are like vitamins and minerals. And these things are used for cells to communicate and for your body to run properly. Okay. For the most part, plants and the things you get from plants are not nutrients like that. And so people may think like, okay, well, there's vitamin A in carrots, right? Well, there's precursors to vitamin A, but because you're an animal and not a plant, your body can't actually absorb and use that. And so you get anywhere from like zero to 8% conversion rate from the carotenoids and carrots to actual usable vitamin A. Okay. So you say, okay, well, plants are obviously not bad for you. Then what are they good for? And I think that what plants do primarily for people is provide a certain stress response. So we call this our, our hermetic stress response in the body. So just like if you were to work out and you were to stress your body, you would say that that's a good thing, right? Because you adapt and you become stronger. And so most plant, like net, net positives and benefits health-wise for plants are actually affecting you in a way that stress your body on a small scale so that you have to adapt to them. So think about it kind of splitting it down the middle. Animal products provide vitamins, minerals, to some degree, and a lot of micronutrients. Plants provide things that stress you so that you adapt and become stronger. So like that's why, for instance, turmeric is such a superfood that everybody loves. It's because it stresses your body to adapt and it increases your immune system. That's why it's a natural anti-inflammatory because it increases your immune system to, to work more because it's a very, very small threat to your body. It's not enough to cause a lot of damage, but it's enough to cause micro amounts of damage so that your body upregulates certain pathways to increase inflammatory fighting compounds. And so one of my theories here is that doing a high amount of plants all the time would be analogous to say running a marathon, squatting and deadlifting every single day. And so it's a cellular stress that you're putting on your body day in and day out that I think removing that sometimes could be beneficial just like overtraining physically with working out can be bad. Like working out, you can work out too much. And so we think of nutrition as like more is better with nutrients. I think that from a plant perspective, that can actually be damaging over the long term. And so you look at, okay, quercetin and blueberries, great. Like this is good. Um, and so we try to stack as much as possible of everything all in one thing. And that's like saying like, okay, deadlifting's good. Running's good. Swimming's good. Biking's good. Let's do it all every day, all day. And so I think that eating massive amounts of plants, you're stressing your body so much on, a, on an ongoing basis where you can't basically recover like you would when you, when you take a day off from working out, for example. And this is a big conversation that I think you know, I could rant on for, uh, for hours and hours and hours. But I think that the general misinformation that we get a lot of nutrients from plants versus animal products is in, and this is something unique that we can't get from plants is kind of um, a huge amount of, of misinformation in the space. And this is another reason why I think it's, it's good to, for people to take some breaks sometimes and simplify the plants that they're eating. So that way they're not getting this massive amount of stress. Now I'm not saying that like people should eliminate plants entirely. Like I know there's some people who do only carnivore hundred percent. And that to me would be analogous to for instance, I wouldn't say, you know, working out can be stressful and you can be overtrained. Therefore, you should not move in a day. You should be in bed rest for the rest of your life. Like, I don't think that makes any sense. Just like I don't think not eating plants for the rest of your life would make any sense because you need that cellular stress. It's good for you. And so doing it appropriately and kind of dosing it up like you would with really hard workouts or with movement maintenance, I think you can do with plants. But I think that overall people are misunderstanding what they're getting from animal products versus what they're getting from plants. So sorry, sorry for that aggressive rant, but it's one of these things that... No, that was like beautiful. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it really helps. And I think the the major message is there's a balance somewhere for lots of people and just similar to your conversation about protein intake and what's best for you. It's so individual. And I think first when I heard about this carnivore thing, I was like, well, people are only doing it for 30 days. Like, is that enough time to really understand how your body responds to it? Because I thought people were like, okay, well, carnivore, now I'm never eating plants again. But I love your message of there's 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 a middle ground because um, I, I don't think I could live without plants forever. I mean, I gravitate more toward meat, you know, and so does my husband. I mean, he could eat meat for the rest of his life and not care about plants ever. But it's, it's good to know that they 
listening that there could be permission out there um, in order for you to find the the path that works best for you, I guess. Yeah, like you get benefits both both ends of the spectrum here. And this is where, like I was saying, I saw anecdotally a lot of people were getting benefits from eating only meat. There are people who go extreme vegan and say that they get certain benefits or using certain vegetables. Like there, there's not a, it's not a binary thing. It's not like you can only eat plants and you can only eat animal products. And so we need to break down and actually think about, okay, if these things are beneficial, like what are we getting from them? And how can we best use those to pair together to get the best possible outcome? And I think that thinking about this way and thinking about building blocks of your body and how your body actually functions and how you can use these components of nutrition, plants versus animals as tools rather than just blind dogma saying that, oh, it's just salads should be healthy and meat's not healthy and, and general things like that aren't, aren't really helpful over the long period of time. And super dangerous, I find, when people speak like that. So you had a bunch of blood work done, I think, before and after your five weeks on carnivore. And when we had our last guest to chat about carnivore, there were a lot of questions about inflammatory markers, uh, thyroid, and a couple of the IG series. I'm wondering if we could go through some of that and and get your feedback. Oh, also cholesterol. People were concerned about cholesterol. So can we chat a little bit about what happened to your thyroid? Yeah. So what we'll do also is just kind of a, a sidebar real quick that I haven't released any of this stuff yet just because I've been incredibly busy. I think that I've had some questions as if I was, people thought I was hiding things. I just, I've been slammed. So <laughs> there's been, I've been into like I think eight or nine different cities since I finished up with Carnivore and I've just been like, work's been crazy. So I will get to that. Uh, all this stuff will be published on my website pretty soon. And I'll do a podcast on my own show about um, all these findings as well. Um, two, I, I want to put out a precursor that I did... So there's no infl- inflammatory problems. So we'll go over all the numbers here. Um, I will explain later about how this could affect, but I did have a gut infection um, and an imbalance of bacteria, which may have modified some of these findings. Um, I, again, will go over that in much more detail on my own website. But that had been like through the beginning of the year had been a super stressful time for me. I went through a giant move. Um, was traveling like crazy, just different time zones pretty much every single week. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that I need to show up individually. Um, I actually think that moving to a carnivore diet helped me significantly get over some of these humps. And then three, there's nothing to be concerned of here. I'm not trying to explain my way out of anything, but I think that... So Sean Baker is another guy who's doing carnivore for about two years. He finally released his blood work and people were aghast at some of his results. Um, I think that another thing we need to realize here is that we don't even have the right reference ranges for someone who is healthy on a ketogenic diet. And so to think that we have reference ranges on blood work and we know what's good or what's bad for somebody who eats all animal products, we just, we just have no idea. Reference ranges to say like, this is good, this is bad, come from the average that we get from people who go get their blood drawn, which are generally sick, unhealthy people. And so there's standard uh, blood marker ranges that you can get um, on a blood work test. And a very simple one that I would like to point to is like is vitamin D, for example. Anything over 30 uh, nanograms per milliliter is technically, you're, you're good to go. However, until you hit like 45 to 65, vitamin D is not doing what it's supposed to do. And so reference ranges are very misleading. And so people who go to their doctor and say, and the doctor says, oh, well, this your, your total cholesterol is high. It's such a ridiculous thing to make the assumption that that is a bad thing when you don't get a fractionated panel and look at your, your entire lipid panel. Or that, you know, triglycerides are high, but you've lost 100 pounds in the last six months. Well, you can have these transient changes in your body, or you can have different representations of of blood markers. And just the fact that like people generally attack others or like make assumptions on health based upon our standard reference ranges and don't actually think about things as as a big picture. And so again, a little bit of a rant, but I just want to make sure that people like understand that Blood work is not definitive. It's a snapshot. Things change. And we still don't even know what is healthy or what is not healthy, especially for these specific populations. So when people were going nuts about Sean Baker's blood work, I went a little nuts because we just we just don't know what's appropriate. And when you have subjective me- measures where people's inflammation goes down, they their joints feel better, their gut health is better, their skin's better, they feel better, they have more energy, they have more mental clarity yet one thing in a blood marker is changed to quote unquote unhealthy levels. I think it's just bananas to be able to extrapolate and be like, oh, well, you're unhealthy now. Well, would you rather have all those other subjective markers of health and have an objective changed measure, like relatively small? 
Um, and so this is where I think that we need to really be mindful of the big picture here and realize that we don't really know a lot of this stuff about the, these objective measures. But that being said, thyroid, we can dig into it. Um, so so you want thyroid, are there any other markers that specifically that you wanted to dig into? So thyroid, TSH, free T3, inflammation, specifically um, CRP, cholesterol, maybe like triglycerides, HDL probably. And then if you had any of the Ig test done too, that would be cool. So TSH went from 2.82 to 2.62. So that, I would consider that not really a significant change. And I think that, again, that's in normal range. So I had two different styles of um, the, these thyroid panels, but everything else was essentially... So T, T4 went from 6 to 6.5. It looks like free T3 in the post, I think in the pre, it was 2.9. Um, so... I think that these these are all um, very very normal ranges. The I've never had any, and people argue that thyroid is more of an issue for women. I just disagree completely. I think that there's a lot of reasons why thyroid um, is worse for women. I think that a lot of it comes from not paying attention to under eating, and I think that a lot of that starts modulating a thyroid hormone um, with women over a long period of time. So not super concerned about that. Um, C-reactive protein went from 0.69 to 0.84. So that's, I mean, you could have that change of a difference from day to day. So that I think, I don't know if you have any questions about that, but anything under one is super, super low. And like I was saying, this is a time of significant stress. I'm surprised that that wasn't higher, to be honest. So under one of both of those, triglycerides went from 124 to 112. So actually a decrease on that. Um, And that's something that just like working at being more stable and not traveling a bunch is going to help mitigate that and like keeping stress down as well. That like to get under hundred is, is what I'm looking for. HDL was 45 stayed there and went to 45. I've had, that's about the level I've had my entire life and nothing's really changed that. VLDL went from 25 to 22. Um, LDL went from 166 to 188, um, which again, people may say like, Oh my God, that's, it's a giant change. Um, no, it's not. It's completely fine. Um, and we can get into later uh, more of that. But that's, again, you could have a bigger change going from day to day or from morning to night than that. Like that's not a significant change. So any questions about those over? I think it's interesting. Um, your free T3 you said was 2.2? 2.9. Okay. So very cool. I need to be at 6.5 to feel normal. Like that. that's a very big no, difference, isn't it? Like. Yeah, I just to, to comment on your conversation around how blood work, you know, we don't know what the levels are and what, you know, and and you're totally right, especially in Canada, our levels are even more ridiculous than in the United States and what's required and is what what is is that um what um standard is that too like what because I know that for instance like some of the measurement systems are different so the like the numbers are actually different. Yeah, no, this is the, uh, I convert all of my blood labs over to the oh, the U.S. system. I'm just trying to look at what, what, what free T3 is. Yeah. So like that in a standard, quote unquote, standard reference range from, from blood work would be, that would be like extremely high. Yeah. But if I'm under six, I am a mess. If I'm over seven, I'm a mess. And it's, yeah, it's the same reference range in the USA oh, and it. Canada. We use the same. Yes. So uh, this is, I just thought this that was is an cool. excellent point here. Like one, it's very individual, and two, that would technically be out of range and probably freak most doctors out. But it just it just doesn't. A lot of the stuff just doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. So I just wanted to point on that. It's like if I'm at two point two, I'm like not getting out of bed. I am a hot mess. I'm not eating. My hair is falling out. I can't even. So that's really cool. So people. People maybe who are in your situation, then I think this might be a good learning moment. Um, what do you do then to, to modulate that and make sure it is at a certain amount? So the ketogenic diet helped me a whole bunch. I When I find that I'm too low, it's usually because I aren't, I'm not doing carb ups. So I'll do a carb up and that helps to increase it. And I have to take desiccated thyroid in order to help it. I just, I can't keep the level high enough. Um, making sure that I'm eating enough. When I fast for long periods of time, my level goes down. When I'm overly stressed, like on book tour generally, 
when I'm like you said, when you're traveling and you're in a new city every day, it's almost impossible to get levels right. Like it's really hard. So oftentimes I boost up my desiccated thyroid when I'm on tour. Sometimes it's even double just to make sure that I can like get out of bed and make a flight. Probably not the best (laughs) thing to do, but it's what I'm able to do in order to serve the people that want to meet me and do selfies and things. So yeah, those are just some of the things. Um, Yoga, actually playing my guitar has been really helpful. Uh, I think it's just like relaxation, anxiety, stress. I find that I just get really, really low when I don't pay attention to those things. Yeah, that's a a great point to emphasize is that a lot of people don't like they think that stress management is just a bonus when I think that it is a requirement. And I think that like some of the increase, like I, I don't want certain blood markers. Like I want my triglycerides to be lower. Like I said, I want some of my, um, like the ratio between LDL and HDL to be a little bit differently. And I think that a lot of that, what I've noticed over time is that a lot of that, when I'm, you know, I'm moving well, I'm eating well, the the biggest lever is actually stress modification. And when like I have a week or two where it's like low, low stress and I'm able to manage it with like a, a lot of meditation and I also play guitar and things like that, like it is significantly better and improved. And I consider stress management to be a requirement and not a bonus add-on. Yes, I completely agree with you, 100%. So I just wanted to point that out because I was like, wait, what did you just say? That's under three? That's crazy. Yeah, is completely different. <laughs> Takes home your point. Yeah, so we chat a little bit about cholesterol, inflammation, anything else? Yeah, IGF-1 was 151. Um, standard reference ranges for that are 98 to 282. So everybody freaks out that IGF-1 will increase and will blow your head up. Not the case. Um, Insulin went from 3.1 to 3.1. So I wouldn't say that that is a major issue at all. I'm trying to think if there's anything else of note here. Testosterone stayed pretty much the exact same. I think I could could come up with the exact um, levels right here. 834 to 708. So that amount of change is completely normal as far as variances in the day-to-day. Yeah. It was essentially the same across the board. Like I noticed that everything was roughly the like within normal variances that I would have tested for like from month to month or week to week doing like if I were to look back as far as like two years, three years in my, in my blood work and having variances that had been normal in the past, this holds true for the amount of like flexibility that happens with blood work when you take it from time to time. Yeah, it's really frustrating with blood work. I think it's a nice snapshot and use it. But I feel like for a time I was so dictated by like, but what does my blood work say? And one time I went for blood work three days in a row because in Canada, we don't have to pay for it. So I was like, just curious, I'm going to get the same tests for three days in a row. And there were quite some big variances from day. And then it was sort of like, okay, so I need, you know, blood work's helpful to get that snapshot, but is it is it the be all end all to tell me how I feel? And you mentioned that before of like, there are a lot other things that you can um, monitor to make sure that you're feeling good and things are working. What were the things that you noticed that were that changed from day to day? Cholesterol. Uh, so this was like three years ago. Uh, cholesterol, my free T3, especially HSCRP and... Uh, sex hormone binding globulin. And that could have been, I mean, I could have had more flax oil on day three and then it went down. And then of course, because I'm a woman, you know, like estrogen, progesterone, that's constantly a moving target. Those were the ones that stick out in my brain. Yeah. So for people listening to this, I just like, please do not identify with what one lab value shows you um, as if you have a problem or you don't. You need to confirm trends and you need to confirm them over time and anything else is irrelevant. And for another point that I like to make is that generally speaking, if your inflammation is low and you have any sort of cholesterol, quote unquote, cholesterol problems that your doctor says, just take a step back and just relax a little bit. Like if your subjective measures are fine and you have difference in cholesterol, whatever, you're losing weight, triglycerides are up, any of this stuff, you need to just relax a little bit and look at the bigger picture. Um, another point to make, um, so I did a fractionated uh, lipid lipid panel and this is where the gut infection that I had um, comes into play significantly. So my small LDL P, the, the particle size of the LDL, this is what you actually want to look at. If, you, if your LDL is above normal where your doctor is concerned about it and not running this NMR profile, which just basically splits out your your cholesterol particles, it, do not listen to anything they have to say other than that. 
and request for this test. So I just did a podcast on my show with Bill Davis. If anyone wants to listen to it, that breaks down all this stuff. But my uh, my small LDL is extremely high right now. So the first test was like 1262 and the second one uh, after carnivore was like 13 something. So again, normal variance. But this traditionally for me on keto is like 100 or under. And so like, this is extremely high. So this is one of the signs for me. It's like, okay, I really need to fix things. But like it wasn't a before and after. And it's just awareness of like, like you said, now you know exactly how to modify your free T3. I know how to modify this number and I have in the past. And so like, it's just like, okay, I need to do way more self-care and slow things down a little bit and treat my gut and do a, a massive gut protocol. And that's all there is to it. And so I'm not scared about this. It didn't change considerably. And for people that usually freak out the way they do when they have a negative um, test, like I just see this and I go, okay, now, and I know everybody doesn't have the tool toolkit to do this, but now I know exactly what I need to do. So I'll just do that. And then I'll check in later. And it's like, it's, these things are not typically like diet. Like this isn't like a, a terminal illness diagnosis. You know what I mean? Like these things are very fluid and you usually have control over or how the outcomes of these markers happen. And so to step back and look at it from that point of view, is just something that it's a constant work in progress. And then when I go test in three months and my small LDL is down, maybe there's something else I want to address. And so it's kind of this, uh, this always fluid, never ending optimization for me, at least on my end, I don't know how you approach it, but to not get so wound up in and i get people maybe daily sending me blood work um through instagram or email or whatever and they, my answer is typically like okay chill out <laughs> now, now, now let's address this because people get so wound up in, in the results and i think that can be a little misleading mm-hmm. and it's also scary when the person in the white coat is like ah your Stop cholesterol is so high we need to do like, something about this Oh my gosh. Yeah. My girl, what my sister's um, friend, she's 28, has high cholesterol and needs to be put on statins like yesterday. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. Let me look at this. And, you know, then you start to talk to her about her behaviors. And, you know, she's working out at the gym seven hours a day, plus also having a full time job and doing Olympic lifting and not have any personal time. And I'm like, okay, so why don't we address that first? Like, you know, I, I think it's really scary when somebody who you feel has your best interest is just not telling you what you may need to actually hear right now. There's just one last thing that I think I want to touch on before. I know um, there's a lot of <laughs> ranting in this episode, so I'll try to keep it to a minimum. But there are certain things where people now like know of certain pathways like IGF-1 is one. Um, so they think that anything with IGF-1 is bad. And I think of mTOR, this is a very trendy thing to talk about to, to try to convince people that you shouldn't eat more than five grams of protein in a day because if you eat any protein, mTOR, and then the conversation is just done. It's just one of these conversation stoppers where people throw it out there and then act like you can't defend it. Biology is very complex. And these systems, like generally when you look at them, it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not like M, if mTOR is activated, you're going to die. It's if you have certain growth mechanisms where you don't want things to grow, like for instance, if you have cancer or, or other issues like that, where you do not want proliferation of cells, you do not want IGF-1 or, I, or mTOR or things like this activated. Okay. However, if you are directing these things on what they should be doing through things like strength training and proper nutrition, like actually having the nutrients to guide things around your body, these are not the problem that boogeymen that people make them out to be. And so... mTOR, in my opinion, from what I've looked at, is just a non-issue when it comes to protein. Like work out more and tell growth signaling in your body to build lean tissue mass. Like, do you not want that? When you you work out, like lean, preservation of lean tissue mass is the highest predictor for for increasing longevity. More than fasting, more than caloric restriction, like keeping muscle mass on your body as long as possible. That's what makes people live the longest and have the highest quality of life. And so if you if you didn't want that, then like decrease mTOR, decrease IGF-1 as, as much as you can. These are these are conversations where like people hear a study and they think that they should just do all or nothing and go one way completely. And I think that you really miss the boat about what health is and, and how to really process all this information and actually have a healthy long-term life. Like, yeah, may, maybe there's some stuff in, in animal models saying that if you limit mTOR, then you live 5% longer. Okay. Well, what, who's to say what the quality of that life is and it even is if it extrapolates to humans? Like if, if you don't grow and you're a frail person that if you fell down and, and broke bones and you died, like that's not a good quality of life. 
Like I'd rather be a robust human being and fall off a cliff at the end of my life, health speaking, than having to have this total decline over my entire life. And so this is something that I think we should look at too when when we like we think, oh, IGF-1, bad, uh, mTOR, bad, and just think about things in, in a black or white fashion instead of thinking about how they could be used in your body for an advantage if they're to be activated or not activated or raised or not raised. And so there's certain like... There's certain things that we should be taking a pause on and really evaluating the process in our body and, and, and understanding, like, do we actually know enough about this to make an educated decision on what we should be doing? And the answer is typically no. Like, gut health is another one. Do we need this species or that species? No idea. We're still naming things in the gut. So we have no idea exactly what species we want. We know we don't want too many of some, for sure. We, don't, we, don't, we know we don't want, like, a, a parasitic infection. That's for sure. Uh, but there's not like we we don't say like oh we need, need need to take this probiotic or this certain strain of yeast it's like not necessarily like we don't we're we're still naming things literally we don't know anything about the gut relative to other human body systems so we need to take a break from I think intensely categorizing things as evil or angelic and think about things from a big picture so. I couldn't agree with you more. That that was the perfect ending of this episode. Where can people find more from you? Yeah, Instagram is where I am most active. So if any questions on this stuff or anything else, just Dr. Anthony Gustin on Instagram. And then that same as my personal website. So Dr. Anthony Gustin is where we're going to be posting all of these results and more explanation about a carnivore diet. And then you've been on my, you were the first guest on my podca- podcast, the Keto Answers podcast, and then just uh, perfectketo.com for all things uh, keto. So honored that I was the first. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm going to include all of those links in the little podcast extra that I made for you guys today at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E95. And thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again next Sunday to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be confused as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.